Pray with me this morning. Father, we are just so thankful for the opportunity to be here together as believers in Christ. God, we're so thankful for your one and only Son to be the sacrifice for our sins so that we can come and stand in your presence and be worthy, not because of what we've done, but because of what you've done in us. God, I just want to say thank you for the work that you've done in the hearts of those ladies who were baptized a while ago. God, thank you for what you've done in the hearts and lives of so many people, not only here, but around the world. God, your church, your body is still alive and growing and moving. And Lord, as we talk about joy this month, it's not a matter of situation and circumstances, but God, you are the unchanging, eternal God. And although everything in our world is changing and it falls apart around us and things are never truly how we want them to be, you are the God who never changes. And if we put our hope and trust in you, Lord, we can have joy that lasts for eternity. We can have true joy that despite the situations and circumstances of things and and relationships and all the stuff in our life that, Lord, we will always have joy as long as we always have you. God, I pray that you would speak into our hearts and lives this morning and help us to be reminded of what it means to believe in you, to serve you and serve others. Lord, we love you. We thank you. And we ask all this in the precious and holy name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, it is good to see everybody this morning. Um, Very thankful for the opportunities we have today. And we got something at the end of the service as well. Um, But, you know, we, we, we started talking last week about what it means to have joy. And the importance of really placing Jesus first in your life is really the only way to even begin to attain true joy. And I say that because if you're not willing to put Jesus Christ first, then basically today's sermon is going to be irrelevant to you, and next week's sermon is going to be irrelevant to you. And so if you're sitting here today... And you're saying, well, I'm just, Jesus is not going to be first for me. Right, right now, no. Maybe later, maybe. But if you're at that point right now where you say, Jesus is not first in my life and he's not going to be at this moment, then you can just check out. Because to have true joy, and especially focusing on it in the Christmas season, but also throughout the whole year, Jesus has got to be first. And the calling on our lives as Christians to make sure that we put others second is so vitally important to experiencing the joy that we want to experience. But you're not going to put others before yourself if Jesus isn't first. You agree with that? I mean, like, there's no reason to. There's no reason for you to sacrifice yourself if there's not a deeper calling on your life that calls you to sacrifice yourself for others, despite your wants and your dreams and your money and your time and all the things that you could be doing in order to invest in someone else's life. It's just not going to happen. And when you look at our world, and, and, and truly it is one of the most basic natural instincts for us and animals that 
we will put ourselves and our wants and our needs above other people, right? I mean, that just happens. You look at our world, and we always get shocked by this, but every time something crazy happens and people get scared, what do people end up doing? They do crazy stuff. They start looting and, and, and stealing things, and they always make sure that they get what they want or they're trying to achieve what they want, despite how it affects and impacts other people's lives. And you would think, like, how could people do that? But we as people are very sinful in our nature, and our instincts, when they kick in, they are sinful. And if we obey those instincts, those natural inclinations in our life to be selfish and focus on ourselves, we're never going to be able to put others before ourselves, and we're never going to be the people that God wants us to be, and we're never going to be able to experience joy. There's a study out right now. There's, there's this professor at Stanford University, and it's super interesting um, um, he's, and you know, we look at universities and most of them, we would not consider them spiritual places. They're usually tend to be very liberal places, but this professor is really studying the impacts of religion inside of culture. And so one of the things that he's been looking at is the impact that church attendance has on people. And so what he found is, is that if parents would simply take their children to church once a week, now I want you to think about this. You with me this morning? Think about this. This is important. He didn't say that your children have to be saved. They have to be like completely changed, 100% deeply devoted followers of Christ. But if you simply take your children to church once a week, that they would be like 70 and 80% more likely to volunteer in the community, help other people in need. And there were so many other social benefits to the simple fact of just taking children to a religious thing once a week and, and he was he, he even goes to make the claim of it's not even the fact that i encourage people to be saved but i encourage people to take their children to some type of religious event once a week because the benefits of what comes from that is so great that it would help our culture and society significantly Amen. Yeah. there is something about serving god putting christ first and putting others first in your life. And if you're sitting here this morning, if you have this mindset that you're going to put yourself first, that you're going to achieve your goals, your dreams, your lives, basically you're acting on your instinct. And none of us would want to be compared to animals, right? Any of you want to be compared to animals? Any of you want to be treated like an animal? But when you look at the world and you look at what culture is promoting... Darwinists and evolutionists, hardcore like origin of species evolutionists, promote significantly that we are animals, like we, we are animals. We survive off of instinct, like we should obey that. And they really kind of deteriorate the, the, the sanctity of human life, of how important it is to know that you were created by God to be so much more than just an animal out roaming the streets or roaming in the woods or roaming in the fields. God created you to be something so much more. God created you to be called, to be changed, to be different. And he created you to not only look out for your own interests, but to serve others. And when you look at why Jesus Christ came, because that's what Christmas is all about, Jesus coming, right? Why did Jesus come? 
In Mark chapter 10, verses 41 through 45, we pick up in the middle of this story. It's such a great story. I've preached on it a million times. You've probably heard it a million times. We're picking up in the middle. But basically, a couple of the disciples had come to Jesus, and they had asked for places of honor to be able to sit at the right hand of Christ when his kingdom came. Because they wanted to be elevated. They wanted to be in leadership. They wanted something important. Is that not kind of what we all want? Maybe you don't want to be a leader. Maybe you don't want to be in charge of anything, but you'd like to have more money. You'd like to have more freedom. You'd like to be able to do something more that you want to do. It's very instinctful for us as people, even the disciples, to want something more than what they have and to focus on what we can get. It's very instinctful for us to do that. And so in verse 41, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. They were furious, like they were mad, disgusted, like when you think about what that word indignant means. So, they, so Jesus has to rally them together because what just happened is the selfish request from James and John has now caused division inside what then was the body of believers, of these 12 disciples. It's caused division. That's what selfishness does. It causes division because we're all looking out for our own interest. And so Jesus has to huddle them together. And he says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials, flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And verse 45 is one of the most important verses in all of Scripture that we need to memorize and take to heart and apply our life on. Because how many of you claim to be believers in Christ this morning? If you claim to be a believer in Christ, what you're claiming is, is that I'm a follower of Christ. I don't just believe that he existed. I don't just believe that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that I'm called to model myself after the example of Jesus Christ that he set while he was here on this earth. And you look at what Jesus said about himself in verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. That's why Jesus came. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's how we, as people, get to experience joy, whether you realize it or not. Because, I don't know about y'all, Hannah and I talk about this all the time. We're just busy. And we're constantly looking for ways that we can go and find time to carve out to do what we would like to do. Accomplish a task or a chore that we would like to, to, to be able to do. And we're constantly fighting for that because that's natural instinct. But our calling as believers in Jesus Christ is to give ourselves away and to serve others. So, point number one this morning Jesus did not come to be served. And if Jesus didn't come to be served, how much more important is it for us to understand that we do not exist to be served? You need to realize that. Like because our natural instinct is to want to be served. It's nice to be served. I don't know. Some of you guys are in healthcare, and you know when people kind of get down in their healthcare and they get used to being taken care of and they get used to people bringing them stuff and they get used to having all this stuff, sometimes it's hard for people to get back to 100% because they kind of like being taken care of. It's nice. Some of you are laughing because you know you've experienced that. 
But we, we do. If we get spoiled, we, we like being served. It's our natural instinct to be served. But our calling is to serve others. Jesus didn't come to be served. You know, when you look at why Jesus came and the necessity that was on his life to set the example in serving others, when you think about what Jesus did, everything about Jesus was to, well, first of all, he was really hard on the religious leaders. If you look back at the life of Jesus, he was constantly rebuking the religious leaders. And that's something like the American church struggles with because we see this side of Jesus. And uh, Pastor Wes, he, he always jokes about this. I hope he's watching this morning. When his wife always asked him, well, what would Jesus do? He always responded with, well, making a whip and, and, and whipping people and running them away is within reason because that's what Jesus did. And we love, we love to claim those passages of Scripture where we can exert the authority and kind of the anger of Jesus in a way, but it was always towards the religious leaders who should have known better and who knew God's word that were greatly misunderstanding God's word. He was very hard with them, but Jesus was also very kind and loving and generous and merciful towards the greatest of sinners who were just normal everyday people. So he was hard with the religious leaders, but he was very merciful with the normal everyday people who just, they were just kind of stuck in their sin. But when you look at that, Jesus was constantly trying to correct the wrong mindset of the religious leaders, and he was constantly trying to correct the idea of the normal everyday people, and he served every day of his life. He never had a home. He never had money. He never had anything. And when you think about what Satan took Jesus when Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted, Satan tempted him with things that Jesus could have. All the kingdoms of the world, the bread. You could just turn stones into bread. You, you could have all this. You, you could just do this. If you're the Son of God, just do this. And Jesus was like, no, this is not why I came. I did not come to receive. I came to give myself away. And as believers in Christ, we have to understand it's not about us receiving because that's what the world teaches us. It's all about receiving. It's all about being internally focused. But Christ teaches us, no, I did not come to be served. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3-7, through 7, where Paul is talking about having the same attitude of Christ. And he speaks to the entire church of Philippi because even their understanding of what it meant to be a believer in Christ had been skewed. They had got to the point where they were trying to elevate themselves above one another. That, that, that the church and that everything existed for them to benefit from. And so Paul writes in verse 3, he says... Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. That's the Christmas story in a nutshell. I mean, Jesus came. He humbled himself. I can't imagine, you know, I have conversations with people like, you know, I don't know if you ever do this, but people say, man, it'd be nice to go back to be a kid. To go back and, you know, experience this time of life to have, you know, because you realize the stresses of being an adult. And there's so many times like, I don't want to go back and be a kid because I remember like getting whippings as a kid. That wasn't fun. Wanting to do stuff as a kid and you were told no a lot, like that wasn't fun. Like there were a lot of things that were good about being a kid, 
There's a lot of things that wasn't fun either. I don't want to go back. And to think that Jesus, who was God, chose to humble himself as a baby. And the life that he experienced, not only like his birth and his childhood of of being humbly brought up in a carpenter's home, but also his life of just serving of the God who could have had anything that he wanted, who devoted his life to serving others and gave his life as a ransom for many. That's huge for us to understand that and to realize that if we want joy, we cannot and should not expect others to serve us. You with me today? There's a calling on your life as a believer in Jesus Christ that others should not be serving you, but you should be serving others. And we talked a little bit about it last week. You know, if you have expectations in your life for others to fulfill a hole or a void in your life, or if you're expecting others to serve you or do something or provide something for you, you're basically setting yourself up for resentment. If you expect your spouse to do something for you, to be the one to give you joy, you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be resentful of them because they can't fill that void for you. If you expect your children to do it, frustrated, can't fill the void. If you expect your parents to do it for you, frustrated, can't fill the void. We as people are not capable of providing that for someone else, but God is. God is enough. And not only can he provide it for us in the moment, but he has enough to provide it that it overflows and that it never ends because we serve an eternal God. And so it's not something that he gives us joy that fades like all the other things in the world, but he gives us joy that's eternal that carries into eternity with him because that's the God that we serve. And that's important. We should set in our heart to serve them. You with me today? Point two, Jesus came to serve others. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve others. And our God came to serve. When you think about that, like our God, who is eternal and awesome and amazing and does everything, to, to realize this morning that He provides for us daily. That not only did He come in human form to serve, but He also serves as our incredible, amazing, wonderful God. Like the fact that He still provides for us, that He listens and answers our prayers, the fact that He cares for us, that He provides everything in existence. He's a provider. He's a caretaker. He's still serving us today in his godlike way. And, and so people get so wrapped up in, well, God calls us to sacrifice and to give up and do this and serve him and blah, blah, blah. It's like, yes, he does call us to do that. But at the same time, he still serves and loves and cares for us and provides for us. And people get caught up in this idea of, no, I provide for myself. I go work. I do this. I earn my money. I buy my stuff. I'm self-sufficient, blah, blah, blah. Like, no, you're not as great as what you like to think that you are. Because some of you know, you've had family members, you may have experienced it yourself. At any given moment, job, gone. At any given moment, money, gone. Retirements, stocks, dividends, everything that you save up, gone. Family members, people you love, gone at any given moment. Everything that we think that we have that's ours, that we work for, can be gone at any given moment. God is not only the provider, but he's also the sustainer in our life. He does all that for us because he loves us. 
When you look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, Paul writes to the church in Rome, and he says, When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might be, perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And it's not just a matter of giving us our everyday needs, but it's also a matter of giving us our eternal life. Forgiveness of sin, restoring that relationship with him, even before we ever acknowledged him as Lord and Savior and accepted him into our hearts and received that gift, he died for it anyway. Any of you ever give somebody something that was really important to you and then they didn't treat it very well? How disgusted does that make you? How, how frustrating is that? That you have something that meant a lot to you and you give it to someone else because like, you wanted to give them something super special and they just discarded it as being not worth a whole lot. And that's what most people do with the blood of Christ. We discard it. We don't treat it as holy and precious as we should. But Jesus knew. Think about this. He came to serve us. The type of God that we are called to put our trust and faith in is the type of God who sit there on that cross and at any given moment could have called the angels down and removed himself from that cross. And when you think about the situations and circumstances of that moment when he was on that cross, when everyone who had followed him and thought he was the coolest thing since sliced bread and was proclaiming that they would die with him and give their life for him and do all this stuff, and they were gone... And they had deserted him, and they were all hiding and scared. And the only people who were standing around the cross were the people who were mocking and ridiculing Jesus, teasing him, making jousts at him, because they were trying to instigate him into doing something to prove that he was who he had said he was all along. And even in that moment, whenever no one else cared enough to be there for him and support him and believe in him and affirm who he was, he was still willing to die for all those people mocking him, all the people who had ran away and deserted him, and all the people like us who were going to be born sinners of sinners who had yet to receive Jesus Christ in their heart and hope that one day they might receive Christ. And in that moment, if Jesus would have made his decision to come off the cross for that moment... Where would we be? We would be a lost people with no way to meet God. But thank God we have a Savior who was willing to serve in spite of what could be seen and understood at the time. Because at that moment, there was no church. There was no following in those final moments. But Jesus served because he knew what was capable of coming in the future. He knew if he planted the seed, what the seed would grow into. And then you look at what Christianity has become over the past 2,000 years, spreading to every continent, changing the very fabric of the world that we live in. Jesus knew, if I do this, this is what's possible. And there's some of us who are sitting in here today, and we, we, we think, uh, okay, like I'm willing to put Jesus first. I want to. But it's really hard to devote my life to serving other people because other people don't appreciate it. And they don't. Right? I mean, they don't. Your kids, parents sacrifice a lot for kids. Kids don't appreciate it. And hopefully they realize it whenever they get older. And they see, and, they, and like one day they'll come back and they'll say, Thank you for what you did. They hate you in the moment. They hate you because you're like, 
telling them no and trying to keep them safe and alive. But hopefully one day they come back and say thank you. That's what it's all about, is the investment into the future. So many Christians have a hard time investing in serving other people because we can't see the fruit from our service. And you have to understand that as Christians, a lot of times we are just planting seeds. We're planting seeds and hope that one day the water's going to hit them in just the right way and they're going to grow and sprout and they're going to produce fruit and God's going to do a great work in that person's life. Anybody know the most desolate place in America? Death Valley. All you Clemson fans, if you didn't know that, you're terrible people. Because you, you have this rock that you think is the greatest thing in the world. It came from Death Valley, and that's why your stadium is named Death Valley. It is a very desolate, terrible place. The stadium or the actual place? I don't, anyway. So Death Valley is the most desolate place in America. And for so long, scientists really believed that nothing there could grow like it was absolutely impossible that they weren't even sure if life had ever been there at any point in time. I mean, it's so dry, so desolate, there was no sign of any kind of life whatsoever. And then a few years back, like, you know, like our world does, it's just like the most amazing things happen at the, like the weirdest given times. And for the first time in like hundreds of years, it rained in Death Valley. And it provided, it wasn't a lot of rain, it was just enough water to wet the earth and what they saw, and they called it a super bloom. Super interesting. Look it up. It was a super bloom. Apparently, there was all kinds of plant life and everything that was present that was dormant for as long as we've been keeping like records on it and been there, and no one had ever seen it or experienced it. And then this super bloom happens. There's all this plant life and these living things there, and they died off very quickly because there wasn't enough moisture to sustain them for any amount of time. But it was the most amazing thing ever when you look out on what everyone believed to be desolate and be able to provide no life whatsoever, like there was no hope for it, and it was there all along. And when you think about what it means as a believer to serve other people, know they're not going to appreciate it, whenever you're, you're doing it. More than likely, they're not. But that's not why we do it. We do it because we're called to do it, not because they appreciate it and return the favor. You may not see the fruit from your efforts early on, but I cannot tell you how many times, just in my life, of how many times, like even stuff that I don't remember doing, really insignificant things where people come back and say, hey, I don't know if you remember this, but I remember this. This had an impact in my life. This was very important to me. I actually had a conversation with a Sunday school teacher from when I was little about a couple of the lessons that he taught when I was a teenager because I know he didn't think I was paying attention, and most of the time I wasn't. But there were a couple of lessons he did that I really remember that really impacted my thought process and my questions that I had for the Lord and eternal life. And I went back to him 15 years later and told him his first time that I saw him, said, hey, I just want you to know, I know I was trouble in your class. I know that you didn't think I was paying attention, but I was. It made an impact on me. Thank you for doing that. The serving of other people may seem like one of those things that is useless, that it's a waste of your time, and you could be better spent serving yourself, but that is a lie that the enemy wants you to believe. That's a lie that Satan wants you to buy into because he knows if he can get you focusing on yourself, there's nothing more Satan-like than being self-focused and self-absorbed. There's nothing more like Satan than you honoring yourself 
and living your dreams and fulfilling your wants and your desires. But there's nothing more Christ-like than to be a servant of others. And God knows that. And that's why Jesus came. Point number three, Jesus came to be a ransom. Now, I don't know if you actually know what the definition of, of ransom is, but I, I just thought that was kind of a peculiar word, and I went and looked at all the different translations, and most of the translations use the word ransom. But ransom in the dictionary means a sum of money or other payment demanded or paid for the release of a prisoner. And the other definition was to obtain the release of a prisoner by making a payment demanded. Now, I don't know if you guys keep up with the news and all that stuff, but we just did that as a country. We just got a prisoner back. Very controversial topic. Don't know how you feel about that? Don't care. Don't talk to me about it. I don't care. I got my opinion on it. That don't matter either. But there is this understanding that we as people are prisoners of this world. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But this world, so many th- it's such a blessing in some ways to have life and to have the things that you need. And God does bless us in so many ways. Life is a blessing. And at the same time, to be a human being in this world, we are a prisoner of this world. We are a prisoner of the sin and the imperfections and the curses of this world. But Christ came to set us free from those things. He was a ransom to release the prisoner. And so when he says, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve and to be a ransom. And you need to understand this morning that when you talk about serving other people, it's not just about, oh, well, I was nice. I did this good deed for somebody today. It's like, no, that's cool. Glad you did a good deed. But the village idiot can do a good deed. The circus monkey can do a good deed. There's a lot of people who do a lot of good deeds and they get a lot of credit for it. Jesus did not just call you to do good deeds. He called you to serve others. And then he himself was a ransom for many. And so being a follower of Christ, when you think about, okay, if being a follower of Christ means that I follow Christ, I follow his example, not only am I called to serve, but I'm also called to give my life as a ransom for other people. And that doubles down on the bet. Because it's totally different to just like when you talk about serving others, which can be very difficult, but to also... Come to the point in your life where you're serving God and you say, my life exists to serve others and to be a sacrifice for other people. And that's where the teaching gets hard this morning. Because as Jesus gave his life as a ransom for many, we are also called to give. Now, we can't save people from their sins. You with me? The sacrifice isn't the same. You can't go put yourself on a cross and do anything for anybody, but you have to understand that your time is very, very valuable. You don't real, you're not the only one who realizes how valuable your time is. Time is one of the most valuable things in this world. Your energy, your money, your family, your relationships, your goals and your dreams... All of that is valuable. Jesus gave his life as a ransom to pay so that we could be brought out of being prisoners of this world and be given freedom in Christ to have eternal life. We are called as followers of Jesus Christ to not only serve others, but to give our lives in hope that we can help others find Jesus as their ransom. 
We're called to sacrifice ourselves for that. And that's where the American church, more than anything, falls short of the calling that Jesus has put on us. Because we, as people, become so focused on the American dream, our dreams, our hopes, our goals, things that we would like to do. It's very easy to do. It's instinctful. It's natural. Most people will lean that way. We, we will always struggle in that battle. But we are called to give it up as a ransom. In Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, Paul addresses this. He said, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. So as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are no longer obligated to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You're not bound in sin. If Jesus Christ came to be a ransom, to free you from being a prisoner, to free you, then you're free. All right? For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. And while there is a calling on our life to kind of like put this to death, we can only do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power to stop sinning, to, to, to get away from the addictions, to get away from anything that's in your life that's holding you down. You don't have that power. But you, as a person, have to choose Jesus Christ, and you have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and give you the power to overcome these things. It's a choice that you have to make because at any given time, sin looks good and it's tempting. There's a reason why it's tempting is because it's fun and we enjoy it and we want to go back to it. But we're called to neglect that, to put that to death, to follow after Jesus Christ. And it says, if you put to death your sinful nature and those deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ this morning? You claim to be a follower of God? Ask yourself this morning, am I Spirit-led? Am I being led by the Spirit? Am I a true child of God? That's a revelation. And if you're sitting here this morning and you say, okay, I'm a believer, how will other people know that I'm a believer in Christ? What's the greatest indication that other people will know that I'm a believer in Christ? It's not going, it's not going to be because you tell them. And it's not going to be because of how you look. It's not going to be because of anything else. It's going to be because they see you serving. They experience you giving yourself away and living like Jesus Christ lived, setting that example, that's going to be how people know whether or not you're truly a follower of Jesus Christ. Being spirit-led, being the ransom. And so this morning, if you want joy, and again, it's not just for Christmas. It's easy to let your joy fly away during Christmas with all the hustle and bustle and everything. But even throughout the year, January through November, to not get into ruts, to not get into, you know, Things like being depressed and focused on different things and situations and circumstances just sucking the joy out of your life. Jesus has got to come first and you have got to be willing to give yourself up for other people. You've got to be willing to follow the example of Christ. Pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to be here and to worship and serve you. And I pray that you would speak into our hearts today that you would help us to see and understand how important it is to put you first and others second. Jesus, we love you, and we thank you so much for all that you've done for us. In your name we pray.